You used to have to build a television ad that was so sticky that when people went into a store later, they would see like a box on a shelf and recall the ad and feel so compelled to buy your product. And we condensed that experience now where like you can see an ad that's really targeted towards somebody who either previously clicked on that product or is fitting the right audience for that product. And you can get them to click on it and make the purchase right in the moment. And I think cookies like enabled that to happen. And now we're going through this new phase of, you know, if, if you get someone to really care about your brand or your product or your business, then get them to sign up and share data with you because they choose to, not because you can just capture it, but because they choose to. And then use that data wisely to send them communications that are actually meaningful to them. And if you do that, you're going to build a relationship with that consumer that drives better engagement higher purchases ideally, and a longer term kind of loyalty with your business as well. Welcome to the Social Complex Podcast, where we are diving into the complex impact and influence of social media on brands, brains, and the bigger picture of our modern world. Here's your host, Hillary Applegate. Performance marketing is a career that did not exist 10 years ago, but today it is one of the most sought after positions in digital marketing. Why? because it is a converter of sales. And today we are gonna be talking about what the landscape of performance marketing looks like, as well as how performance marketing really fits into bigger picture brand initiatives, including how organizations are utilizing performance marketing data to help drive smarter decision-making when it comes to their brand creative. And there is no one better to join me for this conversation than Katie Almas. Katie's journey began in traditional sales, but quickly evolved as she sought out innovation. She made a bold move into the world of e-commerce, assisting major consumer packaged goods companies in developing their online shopping experiences with the customer at the center of it all. Through this experience, Katie developed a passion for working with direct-to-consumer startups and B2B digital products. Her expertise lies in helping teams build effective strategies that prioritize lean approaches rapid learning, and customer centricity. Join us today as we talk all about Katie's story, exploring her unique career path and valuable insights that she has gained along the way. You should expect to hear some really good nuggets when it comes to performance marketing, how to spend your dollars wisely in your organization, and some tips and tricks along the way when you're thinking about your consumer journey and creating that journey and path of your own. Without further ado, let's get into it. When you were starting your career, you weren't sitting there being like, hmm, when I grow up, I want to be a performance marketing manager. It like wasn't even a thing yet when you think about it, right? Like I graduated in 2014. And so all of that was like super fresh. And I mean, I didn't even learn about it. I knew I wanted to be in business. I knew I wanted to be in marketing. I think I thought I wanted to go into brand marketing. And then when I started working, like things really shifted for me as I was exposed to like more of the commercial side of the businesses that I worked for. And then that's kind of what led me to more of like the performance marketing track and like mindset that I bring to things now. What was it that attracted you to that space as you were navigating that post-grad life? Yeah. So... So actually, like when I started my career, I worked with frontline sales. So totally different than what I thought I was going to go into. I think everybody that is studying like marketing and sales and school, they have this like big ambition to like 
be in the room and make all these big decisions. And realistically, like you can't make those decisions unless you have exposure to like set a foundation for how businesses really work. So I was part of like a sales management training program and very quickly was sort of thrown into like co-managing a sales team. And it opened my eyes a ton because like those are the people that are doing the bulk of like the really hard work at, at all of these giant corporations, right? And understanding what really closed a sale, I think was really important. And that over many years following kind of got me to think about how do you really close a sale when it comes to digital marketing? You don't have that face-to-face conversation with your end customer or your end consumer. So like, how do you build relationships through your full funnel marketing strategies that ultimately can like culminate in these performance marketing campaigns that drive conversion. So I think it started very early on in just understanding the foundations of things and building brands and driving conversations with your clients. So for listeners who might not know or are familiar with that distinction, can you explain the difference between a brand marketer and a performance marketer? Yeah. So hopefully everybody's sort of familiar with like the marketing funnel in this conversation, but just to like quickly go through it, basically there's sort of, you can consolidate it down to like three stages of awareness, consideration or engagement, and then conversion. I would say brand marketers traditionally are really focused on like top and middle of the funnel. So building brand affinity, getting people to care about their brand, feeling a certain way about their brand, making sure their messaging is sticky and like there's recall there. And then when it comes to performance marketing, you're the one kind of carrying your consumers from that engagement that the brand marketers have started down through the bottom of the funnel into that conversion. So closing the sale in a lot of ways, and it's up to you to segment your audiences and like find the right channels and figure out how to reach those people at the right time with like the right offers to get them to take the action that you want them to do for a campaign. I feel like with performance marketing and having that initial background in sales management, you do and did probably have a lot of exposure to some of those sales tactics that either very much well aware front of mind have translated over or even just subconsciously. What are some of those lessons Mm -hmm. that are taught in like the more of the sales management side that are still applicable to what you're doing performance marketing? That's a great question. Um, I'm actually going to like reference sort of what I think people think performance marketing is a lot versus what it should be and how sales ties to that. So a lot of times people launch campaigns where they're just like hard sell discount on this thing. You need to buy it. Right. And for people that maybe were already somewhat down the pipeline and like considering making a purchase, then like, sure, that will trigger something for them. But there's a lot of work that's done before then to get them to care about your brand or your product. Right. It kind of is the same with traditional sales. You can't just go in and be like 40% off if somebody doesn't care at all about your products, right? Like you have to make sure that you've sort of created like a value prop for them to even care about this first. So when it comes to performance marketing and like how you're building your creative and segmenting your audiences and building your your copy for things, you want to make sure that you have the right objective in mind for what you're trying to accomplish with those campaigns and that you're like using the language that's going to fit the style and like the desires of your end consumer. Like again, if, if nobody cares about what you're doing, they're not just going to buy it because you're offering it mm-hmm. at a loss even, right? So I think it's important to do the research early to see like what resonates with the people that you're trying to connect with. And language is so important. I'm glad that you brought it up, especially Mm -hmm. when you're thinking about the resonance and how 
you are taking the legacy of a brand and and the perspective of that brand and turning it into copy and taglines yeah. and headlines because you also work with foreign countries outside of English being first language how do you navigate that mm-hmm language barrier and who's the right, who are the right people in the room from a creative standpoint to make sure that nothing is lost in translation? What I usually have done is all kind of start very high level on strategies of what we're trying to accomplish, like across a brand program partnered with our e-commerce businesses or our D2C businesses, or now the B2B platforms that I'm working with. And my goal is to make sure that they, the teams have a clear vision of what we're trying to do. The objective is well-defined We've talked about the audiences we're going after. We've got dates and budgets and all those things kind of organized. And then I'll usually help with the preliminary stages of asset development. But realistically, like what I come up with is rarely what ends up down the pipeline all the way to the consumer because I want the teams to take those working files and like make sure that they fit with the culture and with the language that they are dealing with every day. So even though I studied Spanish and I speak Spanish often at work and write in Spanish, I still don't feel comfortable because I don't have cultural context clues always to just build something in Spanish and say like, okay, put it into ads manager and like hit go, right? Like I want there to be more oversight at first. So I would say it's good for who's listening, like either if you're someone who's executing or you're someone who's like helping strategically, that when you're strategic, make sure you leave space for your executional teams to have input on these things. And when you're executional, if you feel that stuff is being forced through that's not going to work, raise your hand and flag it and kind of state your case a little bit to make sure you're involved before you start spending money on things that just aren't going to add value. So nobody wants that. No, absolutely. It's funny that you're in this situation. I always refer back to one of my very early social media accounts that I managed was a Spanish-speaking gynecologist office. And that is that is so specific. That is niche, <laughs> niche work. But how did you even find this client? That's that was an agency was like, client. Okay, I, okay. I adopted I that like, wow. through an agency that I worked for. But I That's distinctly great. remember having that cultural nuance where I I can speak enough yeah. Spanish to get me by, but I don't understand contextual clues, and it's too delicate to put it you can tell what it's in a translator same thing when someone puts something in spanish into an english translator you can read it and it just sounds a little bit off kind of like artificial intelligence but right we're not going to get into that right (laughs) so no but it's true i mean i i remember like when i was first learning spanish in middle school it was like probably seventh grade and um I was struggling to do an assignment. I remember just using Google Translate and like being like, I think that this is right. I don't know. And then she knew right off the bat that I really didn't know what I was talking about. I was like trying to figure it out, but it was so chunky and so off. And like, you know, think back to that point too. And that was like early Google Translate as well. So it was just not giving you what you need. And I would tell people that like are trying to build global materials, like don't Google Translate you're creative, like just get people that know what they're talking about involved in the process, even if that's contracting out for like a very, you know, short period of time or something, it's going to make a huge difference for you. You sure do. You got to make sure you have the right people in the yeah. room. So yeah. Katie, we met at South by Southwest, which was so fabulous. Yes, and I'm so glad that we met. Shout out to Phoebe, <laughs> our girl. Yes, to connect <laughs> us. <laughs> but at South by, you mentioned that people often 
jump into solutions without properly diagnosing the key issues. And I loved that, especially yeah. in the context of marketing. Can you elaborate on this and share your thoughts mm-hmm. on the importance of understanding the problem before diving into solutions? Yeah. I was thinking about this question earlier, actually. And I think it's easy to compare marketing tools to like walking into a buffet a little bit. Like you're like, that looks good. That looks good. I want to try that. Oh, I love chocolate, you know, and you're grabbing all these things, hoping that it satisfies you and that like it achieves what you're hoping it will achieve. And it can be really overwhelming. There are so many channels, so many platforms, so many tools that you can use. And I think sometimes people tend to just like spring right into selecting things before they really have an idea of like what it is that they're trying to accomplish. And so I've had conversations with different teams throughout my career where like, they're like, I want to use this tactic and I've already got creative that I want to use for this and that. And it's like, time out. Let's take like 10 steps back and just understand right now, what are your commercial objectives for this? Do you have, you know, an AOV number you're trying to hit? Do you have uh, just like a general revenue target that you're trying to achieve? Are you trying to drive acquisition, retention? Like, what is it that you're really trying to do here? And if you can sit down and really define the exact purpose of what you're trying to do in like, honestly, one sentence and use that as your stronghold throughout the campaign development, you're going to be in such a better place because you can take that and then work backwards from there to understand what tactics are going to help you actually hit that as opposed to like investing time and resources and dollars into like 50 different things when you only need three of them. Um, So yeah, I think taking a step back and starting at the base of what you're trying to achieve is like the number one thing I recommend to people always that are about to especially do like any kind of paid advertisement so you don't end up wasting any of your dollars. From strategy to execution, what's that timeline in your world? Ah. Oh, great question. Depends who's asking for something to be executed, right? I think ideally, actually, I love when they put something in a one-year plan and then you just know like what quarter something is going to be super well in advance. And then you just have it in your head. You know what you need to achieve with them. Then ideally you start sitting down and having meetings with people like three, four months in advance to make sure you're covering everything you need. Realistically, when I like work with our market teams, if there's like a hot priority item, sometimes people get weeks notice on what they need to do. Right. So it sounds great to think you have all this time, but like, I'm not, foolish and thinking that it's totally feasible. I think in my world, when I work with people and like from a global lens, I try to set broader timelines so we can start really big here and make sure our teams get it with enough time in advance. But when something's going local first and then moving its way up, yeah, matter of weeks is sometimes what they're working with. Uh, It can be very challenging. That's why I was curious because I, I see it often, especially being in the agency side, because we're the last to know everything all the time. So it's always great. And I would agree with you imperative to have that North star with a strategy that is going Mm -hmm. to be really well defined as far as what it is that you are trying to accomplish, have the data to back it up and then be able to fill in the tactics. But what a lot of times I see is that due to time restrictions, cutting corners, needing to get this out yesterday. I mean, the mad dash scramble in marketing is so real, but I really would be curious Mm -hmm. to see what the cost is of that level of speed. Totally. And there there definitely is one, right? I mean, I think 
if teams really spent the time breaking down like how many weeks or months did we give this project versus the outcome of it compared to other ones, I think you would see that like the more time you have, and it doesn't need to be like a year, you don't need like a million years to to figure something out, but give people the space to think critically and you're going to see better results every time you're going to see better creative and better, you know what I mean? Like better measurement, even better dashboard development, like all of those things take time and take people. And even better, you know, circle of life when it comes to the data and the analytics, because so many times when it gets passed off, the creative gets passed off to the marketing teams, the digital marketing teams to go live, media buyers, et cetera. And then at the end of it all, the data analysis and the reporting structure on it, that circle of life back into creative tends to be a gap for a lot of organizations. What can you share as far as either what you have done in your career to close that loop or where you have seen it be really successful for companies to make sure that they are closing that data loop and making even more informed decisions when they are kicking off their next round of campaigns? Yeah. You know, I think this is a challenge in like a lot of different companies, especially big organizations that are shifting from more of the like focus on brand marketing and top of the funnel now into this performance marketing. They're not used to looking at certain KPIs necessarily and like making longer term decisions based on the results that they find from individual campaigns. So I would say like the ability to close the loops from the data you gather to the next campaign also depends a lot on the seniority, I think, or like experience of the marketers and salespeople and data people involved. I know when I work with certain marketers who have more experience kind of iterating on their campaigns, they're able to take learnings pretty easily from one campaign and say like, okay, now we know this works or this doesn't work. Like, let's apply that to the next one. I think earlier stage marketers, that's an area that's a challenge because they just don't have as much time of having experimented and taken learnings and applied it to the next thing. So I know like for me, with some of the teams I used to work with, with our e-commerce and D2C teams, I would kind of challenge some of the marketers who were younger to say like, okay, you just showed me results from this campaign and that was good. Or like, that wasn't good. That's okay. As long as you take a learning from that and apply that to something else. So like, what are the specific KPIs or like, what are even the qualitative outcomes that you learned about the creative that you tested that you know you need to apply to the next thing? Because I told everybody in a few meetings before, like, I'm not going to consider something a failure unless you do it and you don't take anything from it into the next investment. And I think that's like a, a lesson that a lot of people that are early on in their careers in marketing and sales can try to hone early on and will really benefit them in the room when like decisions are being made and when they're presenting their strategies either before they launch or also after they launch to like very senior leadership. I think that that stands out a lot. Yeah. And that's life lesson, not just for marketing, but I would say for a lot of different industries, it's pretty broad yeah. spectrum and I love it. Yeah. It's a good take. So with the retirement of cookies and third-party data, yeah. that's a hot topic right now, especially when it comes to targeting and being able to you know, find tricky consumers and all that good stuff. And brands are mm-hmm. starting to really grapple with that retirement as it's been rolling out. What impact do you think this will have on brands and how they adjust their marketing and approaches? Yeah, 
Um, this is always like a big topic of discussion. I feel like at any marketing conferences that you go to, everybody's like the retirement of cookies. What are we going to do? Right. And I think the good news is Google like pushed back that retirement, like a full year with the mindset of let's let people adapt their strategies to this before we just turn it off. And I mean, benefit to marketers, maybe not consumers, but to marketers is like our government, at least in the US, hasn't really been quick to regulate this quite yet. So that's giving people time to get ahead of this when that inevitably happens as well. So I would say if you're listening to this and you're still really reliant on cookies and you're doing like a lot of programmatic ads, now is a really good time to start shifting into thinking a little bit more about capturing first-party data and figuring out CRM strategies, which I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But yeah, like traditionally, you know, cookies have been really useful. I think you think back to what marketers have done over the course of the last like 30 years, kind of how things have changed. And you used to have to build like a television ad that was so sticky that when people went into a store later, they would see like a box on a shelf and recall the ad and feel so compelled to buy your product. And we condensed that experience now where like you can see an ad that's really targeted towards somebody who either previously clicked on that product or is bidding the right audience for that product. And you can get them to click on it and make the purchase like right in the moment. And I think cookies like enabled that to happen. And now we're going through this new phase of if you get someone to really care about your brand or your product or your business, then get them to sign up and share data with you because they choose to, not because you can just capture it, but because they choose to. And then use that data wisely to send them communications that are actually meaningful to them. And if you do that, I mean, easier said than done, right? But I'll talk about that too. But but if you can do that, you're going to build a relationship with that consumer that drives better engagement, higher purchases, ideally, and a longer term kind of loyalty with your business as well. There's a fear about cookies, but I, I don't think we're at a loss yet. I think it's just the right time to start migrating your strategy and thinking more about first party than third party cookies. So with first party data and having that yeah. opt in and thinking about that customer first experience, and I love the parallel between not just because you can capture that data, but because the distinction is they choose to share that data with you. Yeah. What are some examples of compelling content offers you know, why would somebody opt mm -hmm. into an organization to give them their data? What are some of those really juicy, sticky pieces of content that you've seen, whether it is with your brands or other brands yeah. around? So I give marketing 101 chat sometimes to this group called Future Founders. That's all startup businesses, like early stage startups that are all quite young entrepreneurs and like they're awesome. They're really awesome. Everybody should look into them. Their products are very interesting and they're super creative. But the challenge for them is like they don't have a lot of funding yet to do big paid ad campaigns or like buy data or anything like that to, to reach people. And so what I've recommended to them is start with your organic base, start with word of mouth, like just try to get out there, do some like digital type of events where you've got physical space at some kind of thing and you're giving products away for trial or whatever. And in exchange, you're also getting people to engage with you on your social channels. People will, if you do enough, kind of like find their way to your website, if you're connecting them to your website, right? Or to where your product is on a website. And like the best thing you can do, especially if it's your own website, is I think start with a pop-up offer of some kind. And I see this a lot with like tons and tons of websites. And it honestly gets me every time because I'm like, 
oh, you're going to offer me 15% off on my first purchase. Like, sure, here's my email. (laughs) It doesn't feel like I'm giving too much, but I'm kind of like, okay, even if I don't care about making a purchase today, maybe they'll start sending me offers on things or like making me aware of products that I've added to cart that aren't in stock now. And then later they'll tell me when it is, right? So like, I look at it as an exchange of, I'm giving them a piece of information about me so they can reach me more easily with things that I care about. And I think if you do that kind of a development on your website of like a first purchase offer, it's a really easy way to get people to just give you their email or their phone number and then you're in. The challenge with that though, is if you are doing that and you're not well-versed in CRM, like be wise about using people's data, right? Like don't start spamming people or even reaching them every single day. I think that's the risk of this is you have been given a way to reach them, but you can't abuse that power because they can easily just unsubscribe from something too. And then it's that much harder to bring them back if they feel like you're somebody who's gonna constantly reach out or like spam them with messages. So if you don't have CRM experience, maybe consult somebody that does understand a bit about user journeys and then come up with like the right framework, the right cadence for connecting with your audiences once you uh, have established that initial connection with people. But I think that kind of like initial pop-up or something like that, I, I recommend that to a lot of people. And the discount doesn't really have to be large at all just to kind of like hook them in. And often I don't even think people actually use the initial discount. They usually expire within like 48 hours. So it's just an opportunity to like stay connected with people and maybe get that close sale. I love it. Yeah. And I love that from the B2B perspective or B2C perspective. I am going to put you on the spot yeah. and now say, okay, what about for B2C or B2B? Oh my gosh. B2B. <laughs> no, what about for yeah, B2B? I mean, yeah, that's a whole other ball game. I mean, I work in right now like a more specific area of B2B where we have an app that we use and there's like different ways of bringing people into that app from like a traditional sales strategy that we're kind of migrating into that space. So that is a pretty unique space to be in. But for other B2B, I mean, look, I don't love cold calling. I'm not going to (laughs) say I think that that's the best. I get a lot of emails from people that like clearly have never looked at my like LinkedIn profile and I'm not the right person to connect with. And it's like, they'll send me like six messages and I just don't respond because I'm like, I don't have time for this. I'm not trying to be rude. It's just like, you didn't take the time to look at my LinkedIn or see if I'm the right person. So like, I don't really feel like I owe you anything. So I don't love like the cold call email. I think it's risky and probably not usually going to the right person. But no, I think like, Actual physical events for B2B are really important. Like being able to demo, depending on what you're doing, like demoing a service, I think is really important, or like a software if you have that. I think that's a huge way in and like worth the investment of setting up a booth somewhere and getting people to actually engage with you. And then you, again, like look at that as your initial offer and get people to connect with you, follow your different social pages, get their email get their business card, whatever it is, so you can reconnect with them and bring them into your pipeline. I think that's really important. I think there's also a lot of like networking events that you can go to also where having dinners with people that are in the industry can open up a lot of doors. I know even just like being at South by Southwest, I was introduced to different people that have different products and were like interested in just getting on my radar. So we, you know, have chats about things and maybe I point them to somebody who's like better suited to kind of carry things through or, you know, really consider bringing that on board. Of course, those are not the easiest things to go do because you have to like physically show up and hope you get the right people there. But I think that that's always 
a really good solution, especially if you're like an early stage, more B2B type company, it's like showing up and having the conversations face to face, like turning on that sales conversation, I think is really important. And it's being human again and that human touch point exactly. and just connecting exactly. with people on a very basic level of understanding mm-hmm. and sharing a common interest before just going in for the jugular yeah. on a sale. Yeah. One more thing I will say about this, though, too, I just thought about this. Another area to explore is just your SEO. Are you optimizing your site well enough that people that are searching for a service or a product can easily find you? Don't necessarily do a bunch of like paid search because I think that that can be super costly if you're not well versed in it yet. But I think like optimizing SEO, even building a blog into like a website, I know is what a lot of people do to improve their SEO. So you get the keywords in there multiple times throughout different pages. I think that's really important. And then making sure that you have really good materials that are easily accessible on your website, right when somebody shows up. And this is like more maybe maybe this is like putting it a little personally, but like, if I'm interested in looking at a product that or like a new tool for my teams to use, I don't love having to get on a phone call to have somebody explain it to me before I have a chance to really look at anything about it. Yeah. So like, it's because you're like, I don't even know if it's what I want yet. Like, I don't want to block an hour for you to like hard sell me on this. Like, it's going to be disappointing for both of us. And time is so valuable. Even 15 minutes on a calendar is just such an investment. (laughs) Exactly. And so it's like really hard to find those 15 minutes. Sometimes the day goes by and you're like, it's 2.30. I haven't really eaten lunch yet, you know, because I've been on all these 15 minute calls. (laughs) No, but I I think it's so important to have what I would call like sales materials of some kind on your site that maybe it's a one pager of what your product is. Maybe it's a one pager and a quick video of how things work that doesn't give away, you know, your trade secrets, doesn't like allow the competition to dive too much into what you're doing, but gives your potential user just enough context to get them hooked. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's important not to make those materials like hard sell materials because people that want to explore tools and and different options um, on the B2B side of things, if they feel like they're just getting sold to, sometimes it feels a little bit like it could be a bait and switch, right? Like you're like, okay, I'm going to invest a lot of time and money into bringing this on. Is it really what I want? I really need to understand and make sure it's right for my teams before I just hand money over. So if you're really pushing for me to like sign a contract and just put the money down, like I'm going to assume that maybe this is too good to be true and I need to second guess that a little bit. So yeah, I think from a B2B perspective, just giving people the upfront knowledge that'll get them like hooked in and engaged. Again, awareness, consideration and engagement, then conversion later, like focus on that top and middle of the funnel first with everything you're doing with that prospecting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's something to be said too with your focus on the customer journey and how they are going to self-select themselves through the sales cycle. That felt like a Sally sells seashells by the seashores. (laughs) Self-select themselves through the sales cycle. But they are going to need to do their own independent research. And studies have shown that the importance of allowing people to do their own sales research, pretty much to the point where they're already going to make a decision on if they want to or don't want to work with you, is pretty significant compared to what it was pre-pandemic. 
people don't want to talk. <laughs> right. And think about how much competition is out there too. So if you're not putting the upfront investment and making sure the right information is out there for your customers or your consumers, um, somebody else is going to do that. So I think it's also important to be aware of like what your competition is. Go to, and this is again, what I say to like some of these startup businesses, go to other websites that are selling in a, even a similar category and see what they're doing today. Even sign up for their mailing list. I'm like, see what emails they're sending. Understand how they're talking to their consumers. Is that something that you feel like you want to emulate in some way? Do you like what they're doing? Or are you seeing a gap in what they're doing? And maybe you can fill that gap. Like I think doing that competitive analysis at a very granular level is like so, so, so important. So assume that if you're not doing something, somebody else probably is and try to find that person to see how they're doing it. I was just about to ask you to break down that customer journey research and you just <laughs> did it before I Perfect. could even ask. One step ahead. One step I ahead. I mean, again, it's like easier said than done and it takes time. Yeah. But you're going to end up with information that's so valuable. And again, you might see things that also you're just like, oh, none of this, I don't like any of this. That's important data to collect. Mm -hmm. Where can you, again, fill a gap or like offer something that your competition is just not offering today? It's important to figure that out. I would say knowing what you don't want is almost more yeah. important than knowing what you do want. I agree. Especially in the realm of creativity. Because you could want a million things. Yeah. And in the realm of creativity, yeah. it's yeah. like it, you it's really hard for you to come up with a unique idea if you're just seeing aspirational content because you are automatically going to catalog yourself under that guise of saying, ooh, I, I like that. I want to yeah. be just like that. Instead of seeing, I know what I don't want to be, and this is a gap that I feel is here, and how I can really bridge that gap is unique to me and the company. What's interesting, too, to, to think about breaking it down even further is the what I just talked about is assuming you're a lagger in the space, that there are other people that are already doing what you're trying to do. If it's the other way around, and you're somebody who's like in a new category or in a new space and you're trying to connect with your end users, instead of doing the competitive analysis, that's where you need to go really deep with the user understanding and doing surveys and seeing if they'll talk to you on the phone and like going deep on how people are engaging with your websites and your emails and all of that kind of stuff. Your level of analysis on your own work is going to have to be like twice as much early on because there's nothing else out there as a framework for you other than like maybe looking at some styles of sites that you like, you know, or like creative examples, uh, photo shoots that you want to emulate. But like from a, a consumer customer engagement perspective and like how to get them to care about your product, you're going to have to really like dive deep and figuring that out early and for yourself. So any tools that you use or have used or have heard of or would recommend when it comes to analysis, setup, performance, marketing management yeah. for, let's say for mid-size organizations, we're not looking at enterprise, you know, large scale operations, but we're also not really looking at startups. What are some of those mid-tier mm -hmm. tools that organizations should be checking out or looking at when it comes to this stuff? I think in general, like if you have your own website, then being able to understand heat maps 
is like really, really important. Looking at time on pages, number of sessions, time in each session, things like that, I think is critical. Um, there's like a whole suite of different tools that exist out there. I can pull some names up like after this, but I think a lot of times people get so excited about just like launching and they're like, okay, it's, it's out there. And I actually, I love Reddit and I know you just did an episode where you're talking a bit about Reddit. Yeah. I, yeah. And I love it. And I actually am in like an e-commerce Reddit subreddit. Right. And I see people posting all the time, like, can people look at my website and tell me what's wrong with it? Cause I don't have any conversions. And it's like such a loaded question. And realistically, if they, instead of investing in paid ads to their website, for example, if they invested in tools to see how people are actually interacting with their site, that would give them a lot more information that they could use right away instead, because people just don't even realize their navigation bar is kind of blending in with their banner. Like that they can't see the navigation within the same tone of purple that their banner is, for example, or like mm-hmm. maybe just the flow of their products is not, I don't know, as optimized as it could be. And so people are kind of getting lost in the journey. And realistically, I think there's like a stat out there that 80% of consumers, if they don't feel engaged with your website, then like they will bounce and not come back. You have like a very finite, and I need to double check on like that number. I have it in a different deck, but it's like something really high where like if people just don't feel connected or they feel like lost in their journey, then like that's it. Like mm-hmm. you can't win them back easily. It's kind of your one shot. So I think that that tools that allow you to see how people are actually going through your site are like massively, massively important. And then there's like tools built into things like ads manager that you can leverage to understand like your creative performance. I think deep diving as much as you can, especially if you're like a mid-sized company and you have enough to get attention more directly from these paid social channels or paid ad channels, deep dive with them and like see what kinds of insights they can offer you. So you're not just like guessing at what's working and what's not working. I mean, there's like there's levels of analysis that they'll kind of give you off the bat. But if you can like sit down and talk with somebody and they can really walk you through it, I think that's also very valuable. And then honestly, this is on my list. Something I need to do is get better at Google Analytics. I think that that's a big one. And I see a lot of people now getting certifications in that like at a much younger age, which is awesome. And something honestly, I'd look for in hiring somebody that I'm not as well versed in. I'd be like, great, you can fill the gap of knowledge I don't have. But yeah, I work with a lot of people that are well versed in that. But like, if you are competent with Google Analytics, you you can go like a long way with your marketing strategies too. And I'm going to ask you one last question. And this was actually a really nice segue into it because I feel like you've been in a lot of different roles that have helped shape your career to what it is. What advice would you give to someone who is in marketing and curious about? which route within the marketing sphere they're going to be getting into? Like, What is your sound piece of Katie advice that you would give to that mm. youngling? To find the balance between creativity and achievement. Why I say that is because like, I think people come into marketing and even like these commercial plus marketing type roles and everybody has a lot of ambition and like I don't want people to lose that I was stifled early in my career by someone it really hurt because I had so much excitement to jump in and like do things differently and was kind of told like oh it's great you're young and you have this ambition but like eh. and I think it's so important to come in with the big ideas like really bring like a fresh perspective. Don't be afraid to challenge things or ask a lot of questions. Like be curious about what you're doing. It's so important to be creative and be curious. At the same time, 
to build competency and be seen as like a valued partner in the room, understand those core objectives that we talked about, um, understand what like the big vision is for the company or for the client that you have, like get into the weeds with them about specifically what they're looking to achieve. If you can bring the creativity and the achievement together, like you're good. You you are solving the puzzle. You're figuring it out. And every time you do something that pushes the envelope and drives that creativity and also helps you hit that achievement, you're going to take learnings from that. And you're going to build like a whole set of tools that you can touch on through your career. So find that passion, find that creativity, and also ground yourself in what you really need to go after. I love it. Katie, Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. So many good nuggets in here. Amazing. (laughs) Okay, good. No, I'm so glad it wasn't just rambles. (laughs) No, zero rambles. All good stuff. So Katie, where can people Mm -hmm. follow you, find you, you know, learn from you? Where you at? I think LinkedIn is probably the best place. And honestly, I'm pretty good about getting back to messages and things on there. So if anybody literally wants to shoot me a message asking a question or following up on any of the stuff that we talked about today. I'm happy to have a discussion. Just don't, uh, don't cold call her. Don't just don't call her. Just don't yeah, spam don't her. Don't be weird. Don't make it weird. <laughs> don't spam me guys. Come up with a good customer journey and then you might engage me. <laughs> Katie, thank you so much for joining <laughs> me on the podcast. Thanks Hillary. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the social complex podcast. Your support means the world to me. So if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, be sure to leave a five-star rating and subscribe to our show. We'll be releasing a new episode every Tuesday, bringing you various stories, deep dives, and discussions around the complexities of social media in our modern world. To follow along for more, be sure to follow us at Your Social HQ on Instagram or check out Social HQ at www.yoursocialhq.com. I'm your host, Hillary Applegate, and I'll see you back here next week. Stay sane out there.